Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Today in the show we have Regina Lopez Who is an unbelievable road and trail athlete Someone who just finished on the podium at the USA TF 100K Championships. She is not someone who has done ultras and trails for a long time, but someone who transitioned into it after the 2020 uh, marathon trials. And I couldn't wait to talk to her about so many things, getting involved with running uh, really around for the first time, kind of later in high school and adopting it. And then, you know, basically making a life in running when starting out so late and also having so many different kinds of pivots and really going after things that interest her in the running space, despite the fact that she had built up all this equity in, you know, running marathons and doing stuff like that, and then making shifts to, you know, doing trails and doing ultras and and just always on the move and trying new things, which um, I love hearing that, especially from some of these top athletes who probably feel even more pressure to kind of stay on the path they're already on. So let's get into it with Regina Lopez. All right, we are here with Regina Lopez. Regina, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited to chat with you. I've been following your running for a while. I remember just following you even before uh, the Olympic trials and the marathon, which was always fun. And uh, you and your sister, you know, were, were training really hard and it was fun to follow along. And you've been doing some really interesting things since then. My goodness, you you have like, you know, made the most of the last you know, you know two or three years in a really interesting way. Uh, I guess first things first. Can we just talk about how you started getting into running? Usually, I don't like going chronological, but I think one of the things that like surprised me doing research uh, about you before we started talking was that you started running at age seventeen, which isn't you know, atypical for most people, but it is pretty atypical for someone who's a professional athlete and a professional runner. So I guess walk us back there. Why, why did you end up starting so late and what pushed you into it in the, in the, in the first place? Well, I've been an athlete almost my whole life. So I started playing basketball, volleyball, soccer at the age of five. So being an athlete, I just knew that I was going to do some type of sport, but it wasn't until like, when I was my, it was in my junior year, a coach, well, actually my prof- uh, non-professor, a teacher, um, came, came up to my sister and I and told us that we have to pick one sport. If we want to compete at a high level, we're going to have to choose just a sport. And my sister and I decided to do running. And when we started focusing on just that one sport running, we started winning races. We started, we started doing well. So that's how I got into running. Were there other sports in the mix or was it a pretty obvious choice? I think it was just an obvious choice. We both loved running and, you know, we loved, you know, I guess the other sports is more team aspects and this is more individual. So we, we love, we love that. We just loved running. And we should say you are identical twin. So we're, we're actually gonna, fraternal. We're actually fraternal. Oh my gosh. I apologize. You looked similar. So I just assumed. I apologize for that. It's funny. People say they say that all the time. So what, what like why we're um, fraternal twins because we came from different eggs and when twins are identical they're born with I guess the same egg so we had our own separate eggs so that's what makes us I guess 
fraternal twins. Got it. See, you got me. My bad. Yeah. Because I actually went to school with identical twins and fraternal twins. And it was funny because fraternal twins, you wouldn't even guess they were brothers. Never mind twins. Like there are people like, wait, you two are related? And like they you were You know, like, Barry and Ashley are actually fraternal as well. Oh, there you go. See? All right. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we should, we should mention that at the top. Obviously, this this podcast is not about your sister. This is about you, but we'd be remiss if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't mention that. Um, so, so, talk, so walk me through that. So before you made that decision of like, okay, we're going to really focus on one sport, have you, I guess, what was your kind of lead up into, you know, making that decision in terms of like, you know, the success that you had or just maybe your love for the sport? Um, what, what were some of the, the factors that played into it and just some of the, the, the experiences that you had as a teenager uh, in running? Well, for me, well, the reason why I found love with running, because I just love pushing myself. I love just beating my own personal times. And, you know, when you're a team aspect, it's more like you're sharing that you have to work with other people. But when you're running, you could just go out there and go run, you know, 20 miles. And, you know, it's just more for yourself. Like it just brings high confidence within yourself. And that's why I love, that's why I love running so much. Like every morning I run, you know, I wake up early, run, and it just, it's a big accomplishment, you know? And I feel like if anyone tries to attack me or feels like, you know, people putting me down, I'm like, you know what? I got the hardest part of my day and that's running. (laughs) So. So did you have frustration with team sports growing up? No, actually, I was, I, it was interesting. So in freshman year, I made, um, varsity basketball, the basketball team. I made varsity volleyball. I actually was captain my freshman year, but I don't know. I just fell in love with running. I just love the feeling of just running fast. You know, it just, it just makes me happy. All right. So when you made that decision, okay, we're going to focus more on one sport here. Obviously, you, you as you mentioned, that was with the idea of there being goals attached to it. So what were the goals at that point, either short term or long term? Well, that my my I guess my short term goal was to get a scholarship. So I wanted to get a scholarship for a university. You know, I don't have I didn't have family members who went to college, so or even was an athlete in college. So you know, we had my sister and I had to pave our way. You know, to be the first ones to go to college and all that. Got it. So did you have was it the kind of thing where like if you didn't get a scholarship then you might not have attended college or like was it that kind of like black and white or was there some potential gray area honestly I, if it wasn't for running I don't think I would have went to college um I feel like because of being an athlete and um having a scholarship you know going in as a um spot like a um had a I had a scholarship as a going to college that's why I went in. I, I wouldn't have, I don't know. I just wouldn't have went to college. Gotcha. All right. So when did, after you made that decision, okay, we're going to focus on running. At what point did the potential of getting a scholarship or just even, even before that, obviously this, the, the coach's interest um, in you, when did that start to uh, start to uh, percolate and when, and how did it evolve from, Hey, some coaches are interested to the scholarship piece because, and a lot of people don't know this, but the Olympic sports, there's not like an abundance of college scholarships, even with like, you know, you first went to Oregon, uh, Oregon State, even with like a Pac-12 school, it's not like every kid has a full scholarship. In fact, most kids don't have a full full scholarship. So how is, so walk me through that process and how that worked for you, especially considering that if you didn't get one, that was going to really limit your opportunities. 
Well, I think I had a great support from my parents. My mom was really on it. Um, she knew she didn't have the money to pay for our college. So she she really worked hard to study and like try to get mentorship and how to, you know, get both, you know, her twin girls into college and get a sponsor. Not sponsor. Sorry, I say sponsorship because I'm sponsors. I have to think back. A scholarship. It's pretty similar. I mean, to be to be fair, it is. Yeah. Besides the fact that they're similar sounding words, it is like the same kind of experience. Yeah. So my mom would actually ask people around, like, you know, how to, how to get a, a, I was going to say sponsorship again, a scholarship, a scholarship for my girls. And, you know, luckily people were nice and they would give her some advice. And, you know, my mom started reaching out to coaches for us and saying like, you know, my twin girls, you know, they're getting first and second, you know, you should come and watch, you know, my girls. So she was the one who, you know, pushed for his coaches to come see us. So they, they came out and they, they started they started uh, like loving how we race and liking us how we were as individuals. And where did you go to high school? I went to Sacred Heart of Jesus. So it's all girls school. It was about 300 girls. And I graduated with like maybe seven, 70 girls. So it's it's small school. <laughs> small school. All right. And, and where was it? In L.A. Okay, gotcha. All right, so so I know LA is enormous. We just we just had a podcast with Justin Mena. We we're talking about how big LA is, and that's like basically like the population of like over forty of the states. So where where in LA? Next to Lincoln Heights, next to Cathedral, um, next to Chinatown, like <laughs> okay. next to Highland Park. <laughs> gotcha. All right, so you're so you're going through that. Um, is you know basically the the runners that you were competing against in high school and the the division and the conference and things like that were they at a level where if you succeeded against them that it was kind of like a known thing or was it kind of so small school that you know that the the results might not be apparent to people who weren't like really in tune with what was going on um so regionals was was against other Catholic schools and I feel like a lot of them came from money so I think what the Catholic school my sister and I went to was more like lower income so we didn't have a track we didn't have the resources so my sister and I did what you know the best we can do with the resources we had um so and then afterwards we went to state and that was even bigger so yeah I I do think though it's because we worked hard and that's why we're able to get a scholarship to Oregon State I remember when we ran state, the Oregon State coach, he saw us race, but what he loved about us is that during the war the cool down, he loved how we we ran together and how we actually ran faster. Like he just thought we, we ran faster than we raced too. And he, he just he was just laughing about that. And he actually came down to California and he wanted in, to tell us in person that he wants both of us. So that was nice. <laughs> So was there other were there other schools that offered both you and your sister, or was that the only one? Yeah, so Cal Poly Pomona, Cal State LA, we're also looking at um, USC, UCLA, and I remember my mom even telling the coach from from UCLA and telling him that if we don't have full scholarships, then we're not going out there. So my mom just wanted us to have a free education, you know. Right. And obviously, it's, it's such a high cost for everybody. But when you have twins, like it's quite literally potentially double the cost, which makes it even harder for so many families. So besides um, besides the obvious you know, financial benefit of both attending Oregon State, hey, we're going to a Pac-12 school, so on and so forth. Were there other elements of that decision that, that you were excited about beyond just, hey, this is going to be potentially be free and I get to go with my sister? 
I think we just wanted to go to a Pac-12 school and we wanted, you know, just to be around very competitive people. But the things that when we went to Oregon State, it was really different for us. You know, we weren't used to a big school. And it's that's where we kind of struggled with, you know, being away from family because my sister and I are very family-oriented kind of girls. And that was just hard for us. Yeah, let's talk about that experience. I know it can be the college experience can be hard on a lot of a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Being a scholarship athlete, especially at the D one level, especially in the in one of the Power Five conferences, is a completely different game, right? So some people are like, hey, you get to run in college, that's awesome, and it is. However, it's like a full time job on top of a full time job. So walk me through what it was like to run Oregon State and the kind of you know, the pressures it put on you and how you responded to it, because I know that it can be um, a lot to get used to and it's not for everybody and, and things can potentially go wrong in those circumstances. Yeah, I think just coming from a small school and then going to a big school, it, yeah, it was just different. And then to um, the class, the class size is bigger, too. So that was different for us. Um, not having my mom's food too. That was difficult, you know, having to, you know, learn how to cook ourselves and all that. You know, it was just different. You're just away from home. And then too, you know, I grew up like with just a like a Hispanic community and then going to Oregon, it was just, wow, it was like so different. Like, you know, it's, it's just a different, it's just, um, it was mostly more Caucasian. So that was a little different too. Because I remember, you know, we're at the locker room and, I, and then I looked at my sister. I'm like, oh, where's my chancla? And that means... Um, Sando in Spanish, and I remember girls laughing. But at, back then, I just didn't think think of it. But you know, just little things. But I, if I was around my, you know, my roots, they would understand what I was saying. Gotcha, gotcha. And I know you end up transferring to Cal Poly, which is you mentioned was one of the schools that you were looking at originally. What ultimately was um, the reasons why you decided to leave Oregon State? I wanted to come back home. I missed the sun. I just, I just wasn't happy. And then when you're not happy, it just shows everywhere, you know, where you're just more depressed. You don't even want to go outside of run. It's, it's just, it's, it, I, I just feel like my happiness was in California at that time. Well, I'm still in California, but I'm just more happy as here. Gotcha. And I know that can be such a hard decision for so many people because sometimes it's, 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 it's the right decision to leave. And I think, you know, seeing how it worked out for you, that was probably the right move for you guys, which is fantastic. And I know for a lot of people, they're like, all right, should I should I tough it out? Should I wait? Should, when, when's the right time to make the decision? Is it too early? Is it too late? It can be a lot of kids, you know, don't know what to do in college. And they, they, they you know, will struggle with the decision process around transferring or whether to, to stay with it or what have you. Um, ultimately, when you are potentially talking to college athletes or just talking to people generally, how would you advise that they go through that process? Because I know it can be a really tricky one uh, to manage because there's just no guardrails and you don't know quite what to do. And you go, you keep bouncing back, bouncing back and forth between the grass is greener on the other side versus like, wait, what if I stick around and this can work too? And, and all of that. I wish I had the answer for that, but I think with me and like my personal Personally, I just felt like if you need to go where you're happiest, you know, if you need to go try out, go look at the school, like maybe go sit at, sit 
in a class and see if you really love it there or like look at the people around there, you know, maybe go to, you know, a coffee shop around there and even ask around or even look, observe other people and see, you know, oh, like, you know, are they happy here? You know, it's just, I don't know. That's what I would, my, I would advise, but I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> when you were going through the transfer process, were you considering not running anymore? Um. Yeah, actually, I remember... You know, when I was leaving Oregon State University, I wanted to see if I could actually, you know, get a scholarship to to another school. You know, I could transfer that over, but luckily it did. So luckily I was able to, you know, keep my scholarship at Cal Poly, um, Cal Poly Pomona. And then my sister went to Cal CLA. So that's when we separated schools too. So, you know, that was a great experience having us, you know, um, just to experience being, I don't know how to say, like more individuals, like doing our own thing. Right, right. Because I mean, that, that's a lot of change in a little bit of time. How quickly did you adapt to your new surroundings at Cal Poly, especially doing so as an individual, as opposed to having that support system always with you? It was different. Um, but luckily, though, I was near home. So, you know, I had my family still around. Um, so it wasn't a big adjustment because I had my family around. <laughs> I love touching back on people's past, especially if there's a running a running foundation there. Um when you were going through this process later in high school and you're in college and you're, you're you're transferring and obviously running is a big part of that journey, did you have any inkling at that point that years later you that running would still be a central central plank in your life? Yes, I always knew I was going to keep running. I know it's just in me to keep running. Like I said, I've been um I've been an athlete since the age of five. You know, it's just in me. If I wasn't for running, I'll probably be doing CrossFit. You know, I do do CrossFit, but I would be doing yoga or I'd be playing vo- volleyball. I always have to do something, like just always do something. <laughs> I love that. And, and we should say, we don't need to do a full deep dive into everything, every aspect of your life. I would say people can go back and listen to the Running For Real podcast that Tina Muir does, which is fantastic. You were on that show a couple of years ago and you touched on a lot of this. So I would say, there's going to be parts that we're leaving out here. Go listen to that episode. Tina's one of the best interviewers around. You were great on that episode as well. Um, so a lot of people can touch on that. Heading into the Olympic trials and the marathon. Okay, so you qualified for that, as did your sister. You know, so we we touched on this. We covered that the whole time. Leading in, coming out, we touched on that so much here on this podcast. And that was a, a seminal moment in, um, for a lot of people's running careers. As you were getting ready for the trials, did you have an idea that your running career was going to be taking a shift? Or when, when did that shift start to come? Because here you are in, in the ultra community now, you're embracing trails, you've had a lot of success, you're much less road focused now than you were um, several years ago. So when did that start to, when did that shift start to happen? And what was it like deciding to embrace a new path? Um. Honestly, it's when it's when I moved out of my parents' house, when I got married. I just wanted to shift. I just wanted to change. You know, I've been doing half marathons, marathons, and I was like, oh, let's just try something new. You know, and then, too, I see, that you know, like the ultra road is not as diverse. And, you know, I was like, you know, why not do something different? You know, I just don't, you know, I feel like I've done marathons for so long and, you know, I just wanted to try something different. Had you been, even when you were focusing more on road running, had you spent a lot of time running on trails and or just like, you know, having conversations with ultra runners? I guess, I mean, 
Were you already kind of dipping your toe in those communities or was this kind of a whole new experience? I think I got into more like the mountain running when I met when I moved out to Azusa because I started hanging out with um with a friend. Her name is Natalie. She's a Spartan runner. And, you know, I saw I don't know, she just inspires me. Like her body is so strong. She has a lot of muscle. And, you know, I just I looked at him like, wow, I just want to just be like her kind of thing. But of course, be my authentic self. But I, she just inspired me. So I started doing mountain running with her. And she told me one day, oh, why don't you do a Spartan trail race? I'm like, okay. You know, and I, I and then afterwards, I, I won that race, that trail race. But, you know, it's it's just because of like, it's important to always like surround yourself with like, inspiring people. And then that's when growth happens. So I think that's helped me grow in the trail scene, the mountain running as well, just being around um, this inspiring people. And for people who are not aware, can you just explain to them the difference between a Spartan trail race and say a Spartan obstacle course race? Sometimes people just hear Spartan and they think it's just one thing. So people who are, are not aware, can you just tell them the difference? So a Spartan obstacle course, you're going through obstacle courses. And then with the Spartan trail race, you're it's like, it's just running. You're just running in the in the, in the mountains. So so just a, so basically just a normal trail race. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. So you 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 hook up with Natalie. You move to this new area. Like wow, this, this woman's doing like some amazing things. She's this big, strong athlete who can just you know kick butt. There's a big difference between you know honoring someone or being like wow, like I love what you're doing. That's great. However, I'm not going to do that, right? Like I can do that. Like I see someone like mountain biking, like that's awesome. I'm not going to mountain bike, but I love what you're doing. What was it like for you to not only see it happening, but also to to start going down that path and to make that decision to embrace that? Because you don't see a lot of people who are doing the roads and trails at the same time and embracing it um, equally. Uh, so I think kind of choosing one almost is almost like not choosing the other. Yeah. I don't know. With me, I, I don't know. I could just see someone and, and they just inspire me. And I'm like, okay, I want to do that too. I, I, I Like I'll study them. I'll see what they do. I'll ask them questions. Like, okay, how, how did you, you know, how did you um, just in, um, increase your speed? And then they'll like show me and then I'll start doing it too. So, and then afterwards I'll see, you know, a big shift in my running. It's just, it's always like trial and error, but I just love, just studying people. That's what I do. You know, I I work with children with autism and I try to find the function and say, how can I change the behavior? So I, I just like to study people. And then that's that's how I grow as a person. <laughs> All right. So you so you're you start going down this path, literally and metaphorically. What are some of the things that you started doing differently as an athlete, as you embraced the trail and then later ultra, whether that's, you know, from a training perspective, let's just start with the running. How did your running change in terms of the workouts, the calendar, the elevation gain? What were some of the things that, that, that started to change over time as you embraced the trail? Yeah, I felt like when I started doing more mountain running, I my speed got a lot faster. And that's when I was actually doing CrossFit. So it was a lot of plyometrics, heavy lifting. You know, I felt like that supported me to run faster. So, you know, it was just all that. My nutrition changed. Um, and, you know, I started, I, yeah, I was doing mountain running, but I was also hitting the road. So I was working on my speed too. So I was doing everything, just a mix of everything. 
So were you still doing traditional workouts and then running in mountains on other days? Or how would you how would you structure like your week? I guess is how I, I guess how I would ask it. Yeah. So I was running 80, 90 miles at that time. I remember doing one case I was hitting. I forgot I was hitting. I think I was hitting like 320 and under. And then after the next day, Natalie, my friend, is like, oh, you should go do a workout in the mountains with me. I'm like, okay, so I'll just do double workouts. You know, it's just I, I, my mind was just my mindset was just just train hard. Let's just get through it. And then when I actually raised, I felt strong mentally, physically. And how did your I mean, that sounds grueling, first of all. <laughs> You just say, that I loved sounds, it. That sounds grueling. <laughs> I thought, good thing you loved it because it would have been really hard to do if you didn't because it's it's a lot. Uh, how did your diet change along with this high output you're doing, not only from a workout perspective, but the elevation gain and just the, the wear and tear in your body obviously was con- considerable. So obviously you have to do enough from the, the eating to to maximize all of this all this work you're doing. Yeah, so I was actually eating more, but eating more healthier. I was drinking even more protein shakes too. Um, a lot of times runners don't intake an, enough um, protein. And I feel like a lot of times I was losing a lot of muscle. So I had to make sure my protein intake was high. Um, I started eating more salads too. Before I never used to eat salads. Um, I used to have like more Mexican food, like rice, beans, and but not really like just like, you know, fruits you know, high, just the healthy stuff like broccoli and all that. I just never grew up with that. So I just had to adjust my, my, just my meal intake. Gotcha. So were you, were you taking anything away or were you just adding? So it's like, we're having the Mexican food and we're adding. adding like the salads and just the healthier stuff. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind, um, and we can take this part out if this, if you're not comfortable talking about this, uh, but I know, but you've been, you've been open in the past about battling bulimia um, earlier on in your, your athletic journey, how has that battle, um, impacted how you approach diet and nutrition now and being mindful, not only of what you're putting into your body, making sure it's enough, but making sure that you're not falling into, um, you know, a a destructive cycle. Yeah. I feel like that stemmed like being bulimic and anorexic and all that. I think that stemmed because I was always compared to my sister. My sister was always compared to me. So I remember, too, back in high school, even, you know, when we went to Oregon State together, we would, you know, compete who could actually eat the the least because we didn't want to be known as, like, the fat twin, you know? And I feel like we struggle with that. Imagine, like, no one wants to be compared, but you're actually getting compared to someone who actually looks like you. And I remember people would actually come up to us and be like, oh, who's the prettier twin, you know? And then after we, you know, one of us would just not feel good about ourselves, you know? And I think, too, um, the... Our separation had to happen because mentally, it was like our ment- like our mental health was not going well because of that. Just the, just the the comparison so like too much was just happening too much, and it, it's just yeah. I'm sure you know it could affect a lot of people who are getting compared to the ones to us, and then we would cause it would cause a lot of fights between us too. You know, so it just wasn't healthy. Yeah, that's tough. Um, I mean, my goodness. So, so now looking at your nutritional choices again now as someone who's not only competing in trail and doing mountain races but you've also done ultras as well where i love i love uh, the every once in a while you'll hear someone describe ultra running as like basically an eating contest with some running in between um how has you know your your adoption in the ultra community how has that gone in terms of not only eating during training but also 
eating on the run and how and how that's been tra- and how that's worked for you because I know for so many people this is such an individualistic thing in terms of what you can actually process and run with when your stomach is full and the GI system and, and so on and so forth. So if you wouldn't walk me through how you learned what you can and cannot eat uh, during training and then also during races. I think everyone is different. You have to find what works for you. For example, for me, like I love Martine. So I I was in, in taking that throughout my training and I actually took that during my race as well. And then also during my race, I was like having chips, M&Ms. So you kind of have to find what works for, for you. Because um, you could go into a race and be like, okay, I'm only going to eat, I'm only going to eat this, but I bought a few, your body doesn't want that. Um, so thankfully they had food there too. So I was just eating all the food that, that they had there. <laughs> right. So, so how much, so when you, when you're in that situation, right, of like, all right, this is what I'm going to eat. But then, you know, if your body's like, no, 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 we don't want that. So how do you prepare for, for these ultras where you, you want to make sure that you have enough of these aid stations and that your team that you're there with is prepared to give you the things that not only that you will want in advance, but also yeah. potentially read your mind like, oh no, but she might actually want this. <laughs> no, it's funny. So um, Matthew was there. Nathan was there from Doctors Are Running. So they were there to support me and give me my nutrition. But Matthew was like eating all my snacks there. But every time I would run past them, they would have like different nutrition for me. They're like, do you want this? Do you want that? I was even taking like um, electrolyte pills too. And they would just give me a handful of that. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I love that. Now, we've talked about you know, how you switched to the trail and ultra community. But I can't paint, paint that with a broad brush either because there are so many different kinds of races to do in, you know, you know whether it's trail or ultra or both, right? Because you have like the road ultra, you have like the trail ultra, you have mountain races, you have flatland races, you have, you know, the basically, you know, marathon all the way up to 100 miles. You can choose between uh, to say nothing of the shorter races. How do you go about race selection? I think with this race, I decided maybe like three months prior, I was like, I just want to try it. Um, like for the, for, I guess my, um, the thing, the next thing I want to focus on is mountain running. I want to focus on like maybe halves and under. I think it's just more like, what am I feeling? And maybe by the end of the year, I'll be like, oh, I want to go back to hundred K. I think it's just whatever my drive is at that time. Um, and then too, I also, the training was different for this hundred K. You know, I'm used to running fast. I'm used to running, you know, 6.15 for a marathon, you know, and for this 100K, I had to learn to be patient, you know, like getting used to running a minute, 8.30 pace. Like that wasn't something I was used to. <laughs> Is that, how did you prepare using the LA Marathon? So I know you, you finished as a, the 10th woman at LA Marathon at the same time. It was like not a time that was you know, a time that you would have run three years ago getting ready for like the Olympic trials. Obviously, this was part of a, a training plan leading into an ultra. So how did the LA Marathon work for you in terms of like how it fit into your training plan? And how did you personally deal with that as like, that's your hometown marathon? Like, right, it's not just like some marathon who knows where no one's going to notice like this was your hometown race. And how did you adjust to the expectations of using this as a as a piece to a larger puzzle as opposed to the destination um, that may have been earlier in your career. 
You know, it, it was hard. I remember finishing that race, like, I'm slow, you know, but I, I just have to remember it's a workout. Even going into that race, I'm like, it's a workout. Do not race this. Because during that race, too, I was like, I want to just run fast. But and then I had to like stop myself. I'm like, no, it's a workout. It's getting ready for the 100K. Do not do that. <laughs> so yeah, I had to talk to myself throughout the race, like, just chill, you know, enjoy this time, enjoy the city. So yeah, I had to mentally change just the shift in the way I was talking to myself. So how did you decide upon doing the USATF 100K champs? Like why, what about that race was, you know, made you choose that when again, there's so many potential races to choose? I don't know. I just feel like my heart was for that 100K because I've done the 50K championship race last year. I got second. This year I got fourth. I used that as a workout. And then this year I was like, you know what? I just want to go in there, see what I could do. I want a podium and I did. So, you know, that was my goal. So with these ultras and in trail races as well how would you compare how you go into the race in terms of you know strategizing um how you want to attack it like do you view it as hey these are the paces i want to hit or are you much or are you on the other end of the spectrum of like no i'm just going to stay with the leaders and whatever happens happens or are you somewhere in between so for this 100k i just knew that i had to stick to like a a minute pace um, but the, the, the thing is that in the beginning of the race, the girls went out super fast. The girls went out like maybe low sevens or under seven. And it made me question myself the first, like the first three miles, like, well, am I going to slow? But I'm happy I actually went, went out my pace. And then, you know, a lot of girls suffered for that. And then, you know, they had to drop. So I'm happy that I stuck to my pace and listened to my body. You know, it's, it's a... You know, it's 62 miles, you know, like running under seven is just not, you know, I guess I just knew it was, that was not going to be smart if it was my first one. <laughs> but it's funny because like all of these paces are like, I'm assuming not too dissimilar from like your easy pace, right? Yeah. So like there's a very fine line here between like, hey, they're going out too fast. But like if you went out for a 10 mile run, you might have gone faster than that pace, right? So it must be harder to not step on the gas in those situations when you're like, yeah, they're going faster than I want to, but it's still not hard. But it's 62 miles. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 I, can, I can imagine it being really easy to go out too fast in some of these races, especially if you're feeling really good. Yeah. So I didn't do that. So I'm proud of myself for that. <laughs> but I just knew, though, I was going to finish that race. I didn't care how I was going to finish. I was going to finish. <laughs> So how did you determine what your race pace would be? Were there certain workouts or races that led you and your coach to say, all right, this is my 100K pace? Or well, what's that process like? Well, my longest um, run prior to that 100K was 31 miles. But, you know, like I said, I just ran, I just kept pace. Like I ran, I would run like maybe 740, like my fastest. And if I would run faster than that, you know, I would hear from my coach saying like, why are you running that fast? You know, like I'm trying to save you and like not, you know, when it comes to race time, you're not going to, you shouldn't run that pace because, you know, I just don't want you to suffer. You know, I want you to feel good. Well, it's not going to feel good, but he wants me to finish. So that was just our goal just to finish. Gotcha. All right. So is this... When I hear that kind of coaching philosophy, first of all, it makes sense. And obviously you finished really well. So it worked. So kudos to both of you. And that's fantastic. It also sounds kind of like a long-term strategy as well. Like, hey, I want you to be in this for a while. This isn't just about this race. 
He actually wants me to run. My coach wants me to run another 100K in a 50 mile. It just takes a lot of time and, you know, just mental strength. And just, you know, when I'm training, I'm actually just full on 100% into my training. You know, I don't, I kind of like, I don't know another word for this, but I kind of isolate myself. I just don't like distraction. You know, I'm eating at a certain time. I'm sleeping at a certain time. You know, I, my training comes first when I'm actually, you know, training for something. All right. So it sounds like it's very regimented and scheduled. So how long is it that way during the cycle? It was about like that for to getting ready for this 100K. It was about like three months like that. So right now it's like my break time. So, you know, now I'm trying to. I know you just went on a trip to Hawaii, (laughs) man. That sounded like a great time. Yeah. So it's my break time right now. (laughs) So during my break time, I enjoy, you know, I sleeping in. I run. I'm still running, but I I just like enjoy, you know, hanging out with friends and stuff. It's it's just different. Like my mentality is just different. (laughs) Yeah. I saw you hanging out with Nicole. I actually met Nicole at CIM. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was like going to get coffee at Starbucks and she walked in. I'm like, hey, I know you from Instagram. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that, that looked like a great time. So when you're going through that structured three month build up to a race, does does the structure, does the scheduling get t- get tiring? Does it wear on you? Does it weigh on you, or does that fit your personality? It fits my personality. I just like schedule. I like routine. Is um, I, with me, I think I love training so much, and I love you know every week I'm getting better. I love. You know, when I'm running a, like my repeats, my repeats and, you know, I'm struggling. And when I first start training, I'm struggling to hit like six minute pace. And then afterwards, when I'm getting closer to races, I'm running like 520 pace. I just love just that personal growth, like the personal feeling of just getting faster. So it's fun for me. I love how you talked about kind of the spontaneity of race choices. So many amateur runners like myself and the vast majority of people who are listening to this who are amateur runners can fall into the cycle of especially for marathons, like, okay, like this is my last marathon. This is how I did. Okay. Now I want to do better the next time. And then they finish that one. Okay. Now I want to do better the next time. The hard part being is that like, you can't do a lot. If you're trying to PR, you can't just have these back to back to back. You need these, these wide time gaps. And soon, then all of a sudden a couple of years pass, and it's like, oh, wow, all I've done doing is marathon training. I haven't done anything else. All I've been doing this whole time is preparing for these marathons. So what advice would you give, would you give somebody, and you're a coach, so you might give this advice to your clients already, people who maybe potentially fall into that trap, but might also be positively predisposed to trying new things, trying new distances or racing on new conditions, whether it's trail or what have you, um, and the importance that that can play, not just in terms of short-term happiness, but potentially even for long-term growth as a runner. Yeah, I really do think though change is difficult, but once you're used to that change, it actually makes you just tougher, makes you stronger, and you learn a lot about yourself. You know, remember how I told you how I met my friend Natalie? I remember I did a workout with her, and we we, we did like um, hair repeats, and then we came back down, we did burpees, and then ran back up again, like a sprint, and ran back down, and then we did lunges, and then you know that was different, you know, and that I feel like that made me stronger. You have to just um, do something different. Like too, when you're doing marathons, too many, like um, you're doing too many marathons, like you're not working on your speed. So go do a 5K, you know, that, that that's going to help with that speed too. Or do a 10K or go and do a mountain run. Because even mountain runs, you know, it's more of vertical running. So that's just going to get you faster too when you do those, you know, um, flat tempo runs. 
Right. And I know I can I can hear the I can hear the rebuttal in my earphones as you're saying this. Like the people who are like, but what about oftentimes people can get into those cycles because maybe their race didn't quite meet their expectations, right? So it's like, all right, I trained for a 3:30 marathon and I did fine. I I, I but I ran a 3:34, right? So they ran really well. It's just a couple seconds per mile difference. But ultimately they didn't reach their goal. So they feel it's like, okay, but if I do a little bit better this time, then I'll reach my goal. So it ends up becoming this like, but I just missed. And that can be such a hard pull to kind of get it back going. Whoops. To get it back going again. Um, so when you have, say, someone who goes into that situation, how would you either talk to them or what questions would you ask them um, leading into, you know, their their the kind of their mini break before the next cycle begins? Um, I, I would tell them, like, why they feel that way or and then also too, like maybe there's changes they could do, you know, with their training that could make them better too. It's like, is it, you know, um, do they lack strength training? You know, like strength training has shown too to improve performance. You know, do you have that in your training? Just, you know, if that's what they want to focus on in the marathon. Then, you know, if they want to hit that, you know, faster time, then they could make changes in their training and see, you know, um, what are ways to perfect or even um, just grow as an athlete in the person as well. So you've done all sorts of things. You've raced the marathon. You've run shorter trails. You've done mountain races. You've done longer ultras. What are some of the goals that you have that inspire you to keep working hard and, and keep uh, keep doing your thing? I'm into just personal growth. I just love growing myself as a person. Um, and I feel like when I don't run, I'm not happy Um it, running just makes me happy. <laughs> and you got to keep running. It's in the family between you and Matt. You guys are you guys are running all the time. Yeah. And then too, we're actually talking about kids too. So maybe that's in the near future too. Oh, there you go. That's always a fun goal. Well, <laughs> Regina, thank you so much for sharing your personal journey and the, what you've been doing lately. It's really inspiring to see. Before we get going, I do want to touch on a point that I saw you mentioned with Tina, and we've already referenced that people should go listen to that episode as well. It's absolutely fantastic. But I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about representation because you talked about that with Tina a lot. And I think it's important because you also talked about it with your time at Oregon State. Um, How important is representation for you in terms of someone who is now the person that people are potentially looking at and saying, hey, if that person can do it, maybe I can do it. Now that you're in in the forefront of that, what's it like for you being a potential role model and also putting yourself in a situation to be seen by potential young runners? Yeah, I, I, you know, it makes me great happiness where, you know, when people come up to me and saying like how I inspire them, you know, in the past, I remember girls would come when I made the Olympic trials. I remember, you know, a few girls even told me too, like, oh, you know, um, because of you, I want to make the Olympic trials like you gave me hope. Um no, that's nice too. And I think too, everyone should be treated, you know, as, you know, humans, we're all humans and, you know, with compassion and respect. And I just want everyone just to be, um, just treat everyone just with respect. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of background you come from, um, nationality, just love each other. So that's, that's all I want in the running community. Gotcha. Regina, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Regina, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was just so much fun. <laughs> so awesome. Go check out Regina over on Instagram. She is a really good follow. You can find her at 
Get Fit with Regina Lopez. That's all one word, Get Fit with Regina Lopez. She's great, and I'm so glad that she was on the show today. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.